You're listening to the Work Cultured Podcast, where good companies keep good company. Hey, welcome to the Work Culture Podcast. Today we have Jeffrey Palermo of Clear Measure. And so welcome to the podcast. We're glad you're here today. Oh, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Uh, give me a quick uh, little bio about you and about Clear Measure. A uh, bio about me. How far back do you want to go? <laughs> well, uh, you've been doing this for 10 years. Yeah. yeah. I was born at a very young age. Oh, and, very uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, you must be a dad as well. I, oh, the dad jokes. Yes. <laughs> my kids hate the dad jokes. If you're watching kids, they're coming. <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, if you, if you only go back 10 years, um, clear measure was started 10 years ago, uh, started operating yeah, January, January 7th, 2013. Oh, cool. So we just kind of ticked over just the passed, 10 years yeah. and our very first customer still with us. So that's, exciting oh, that's amazing. Too. Yeah. Um, and it's been, it's been a good ride so far and hopefully my last job. <laughs> I hope so as well. Uh, also anecdotally, I feel like our listeners are going to think there's some sort of ploy, but I think you're the fifth Aggie <laughs> to be on the show. <laughs> so yeah, Texas A&M is representing, uh, you know, leaders that create good cultures. So, I mean, in Austin, Texas, in Austin, Texas. Well, yeah. <laughs> and we live West of the city and we graze the neighbor's longhorn cows. Oh my uh, goodness! But my favorite Aggie joke is: is what do you call an what do you call an Aggie in Austin? What's that? Well, you just call him boss. Oh, <laughs> sick burn! That's right. I like it. <laughs> so, what, what did you do up uh, leading up to uh, Clear Mission? Clear. Um, well, I've been a programmer since 1997. Clear Measure. Sure. Um, I mean, literally the week after I graduated high school, I got my first programming job, um, and because I. You know, in the '90s, nobody had an email address, nobody right. had a website, yeah. and here I was with a personal homepage, a personal web website, at at the age of 15 on a you know dial-up dial-up modem, yeah. slow internet. Um, but but uh, interestingly enough, my boss um, Steve Hickman, still remember uh, when he hired me for the, the summer job straight out of school. Um, he is now the CEO of Clear Measure. And he was my first boss as an 18-year-old oh, programmer wow. back in the 90s. Man, um, so full circle. And also, I mean, our listeners don't know this, but we were chatting up, up before the interview, and we've got some similar connections, people that were, have worked for you, that you've worked alongside, that took over your role, that were on this podcast. So, I mean, the small world that's already happening in the yeah. first five minutes of us knowing each other is pretty pretty amazing. Right, right. And, and uh, so being a programmer, I... I started working as a programmer and then doing small jobs and, and contracts just part-time while I went to Texas A&M. Um, and then, you know, upon graduation, Dell Computer Corporation was hiring a mm, bunch of programmers. Mm. I did an internship with them and then went full-time for four or five years. Uh, it, technically, it was five years. It was actually only four years because <laughs> one of those years, um, I was in the Army Reserve for eight years. One of those years, I was gone over in Iraq, oh, so yeah, okay. I only actually got yep. to work four out of those five years. But I will say Dell was very good. I, I, Sears used to do this, but I will give them credit for military reservists that, that are called up. They supplement the military pay up to the normal Dell salary that you're getting That's the fantastic. entire time 
that I was away. That is fantastic. And so my wife was, you know, she was paying off my student loans with Uh that extra money. And I I mean, so I got to give them credit. Yeah, you know, Dell, uh, I think, is an underrated employer, you know, because they're, they're the big corporation. And so, of course, you know, we want to lump them in with all the evil corp, you know, this the mindset. That, but, I mean, it actually is a really excellent company. Um, you know, the Michael Dell Foundation's doing incredible things. Um, yeah, I, I had some jobs where I just the worst culture environments I've ever even heard of. Uh, and that was all I knew. And then I worked mm-hmm. at Dell and it was a huge pay cut. But. I ended yeah. up in a segment where the leadership was amazing. They cared yeah. for their people. They, they fostered um, this like meritocracy. And I mean, I got promoted twice after missing my quota. I mean, because mm-hmm. they're, they're based on potential and ideas and strategy, not, you know, how do you do in this particular role? Right, right. Uh, really great company. Well, the CIO, um, I think right around there, uh, Michael Dell had turned, turned over. He was taking the company public. He turned over to the CEO. He was kind of stepping back, um, during that era. I know he's, he, he came back, he took it private again. Yeah, he's now yeah. in charge again, but in that era of 2001 to oh four five, um, Randy Mott was the CIO. And so of course I was in the IT department. So that was kind of my world. I actually never met Michael Dell. Um, no. but you know, Randy Mott, um, he was a pretty humorous guy, you know, when he was up on, up on stage cause the IT department's massive. Um, but come full circle again, you know, he's not in that role anymore, but he's now the chairman of the board of my kids, Christian private school. Oh man. And so, so my kids school benefits from his leadership, by the way, he's doing a really good job, um, at uh, Hyde park, Hyde park schools. So that was kind of an interesting connection too, because I worked in yeah, Hamadell. That is fascinating. I mean, gosh, again, the, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon for you are like two degrees. Uh, you know, <laughs> it seems like you're just interconnected to everyone uh, here in the city for a very long time. Are you from Austin? No, I was born in Houston. Okay. Uh, at the original Herman Hospital in Houston, I uh, kind of grew up around west of southwest of Sugarland in Rosenberg, Texas, um, which is yeah, it takes about I don't know. 45 minutes to get to Houston city center from Rosenberg. So just to gauge that geography yeah. and went to high school there. And from there went to college station, mm-hmm. then college station came West to Austin. Okay. And now I live out in Spicewood, which is yeah. about what, 45 minutes West of the city. Yeah. It's kind of hill country area. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Okay. So what drove you to start clear measure? So when I was 18 or even before then I always had in my head, okay, I want to start my own company. Um, and we're doing, no, it was even before then, probably 15 or 16, I was in a church youth group and they were talking about spiritual gifts and all these annoying girls. I still remember. I'm sorry. It gets, rose me raw. <laughs> all these, you know, these girls, oh, my gift is gentleness and my gift is kindness and, or serving or tea, all these feely. I remember at the time. And I didn't have any of that. You know, I was like this rough, super crass, you know, young boy, teenager. Um, I was kind of annoying back then too. <laughs> but, uh, then, then God just put it in my head, you're going to fund my kingdom. And, you know, shortly after that was, uh, uh, I just had the desire from being a you know, mid late teenager to own a business. I didn't even know what it would, like, you didn't just know what business didn't, I had no idea, no business. vision, no, but 
for like, I connected back to that. Yeah. And from that point as a mid and late teenager, it was always, I'm going to have a business at some point doing something. I didn't know what it was going to be. I was looking around, I was like, what businesses? And of course, in the meantime, I fell in love with computer programming. Sure. Well, there was plenty of work to be had and still is yeah. in computer programming. And I got pretty good at it. And so, you know, up until 2006, I was just doing programming work. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. My, my son's 13 and I remember he was 10 and I was talking to him about college. He's like, Oh, the, if I even go to college, I'm like, Oh, okay. He's like, yeah, I made I think I'll probably have started a company by then. <laughs> like, yeah. wow. So I think some, some people just, it's, it's in their DNA as young as they can fathom owning a company. Yeah. Um, that's really cool that you had that kind of planted in your heart and, and you were able to see it through and, yeah. and, and make it happen. Right. Yeah. I, I got to give credit <clears throat> to my mom, uh, because my, my older brother and I were the first ones in our family to graduate from college. And, uh, you know, she was just basically, it was a foregone conclusion. You know, high school is not the end of your education. Whereas in Rosenberg, Texas, you know, for all, probably the majority of people that was, you know, high sure. school was it. And then you go and, um, you know, you learn a, a, a trade, but any young kids are listening out there. If you just go to welding school, get out of welding school. And within a few months, you're making 70 grand. Right. So, I mean, there are, there are plenty of really good paying jobs that do oh, not yeah. require four years of college. Yeah, absolutely. Expensive just trade now. schools, programming. So many, so many programmers never learned a line of code in their life at school. Um, well, that's true too. Um, I had some really good, uh, professors at A&M, uh, George Fowler <laughs> learned COBOL from, he's passed away now. Um, and then Mike Nat, who I took several courses for, from still friends to this day, but there was, there was computer science, computer engineering, and then business analysis and MIS and, and those programs. And still today, those universities are not really preparing programmers for what they need to know. Yeah. And so I got a four year degree. But so much, I mean, the majority was self-taught. Yeah, 98% you had to figure out yourself, yeah. And now I'm, I'm on the other end of hiring people who do have a computer science degree here <laughs> in you know, 2022, 23, and you know, have to analyze, okay, what did you learn? What did you do? But people who just did their classwork and now have a degree can't use them. Yeah. They're not ready. They need to go work for somebody else. And whereas the people who... Uh, Programming is also the hobby. They've been doing side projects. Yeah. They've been learning extra stuff. They've been experimenting. They, those are the people that are ready to be a programmer. And I think that's why companies like Google will have like, built into people's salary and expected hours are play hours. Like of you yeah. know, go do a side yeah. project, you right? And I don't care what it is, just stimulate that muscle uh, of learning new things and expanding yeah. your let's practice. Yeah. Like, well, I have some friends, um, who, who went to the university of Houston to their great music school. If you don't like playing instruments or, and doing it on the side and practicing and doing all that, and you, you literally yeah. just go and take your classes and get a music degree, I would imagine you're probably not great. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that isn't really related, but college, you can graduate from college and you do graduate from college with no knowledge of how to function in a relationship or how to make a budget or how to write a resume oh, or how yeah. to interview for a job, which is kind of amazing that we spend all this money and time 
And then you, you know, it's like when you have a kid, like you, they just let you go home Mm -hmm. after you're like, what, you're going to let me just leave here. (laughs) Like, I don't know how to be a parent. Right. Um, Right. (laughs) You're walking out of college, you graduate, you have a hat and you're like, what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's amazing that we actually figured out, I guess. Well, speaking of, of culture, besides just work culture, our, our society has done some big shifts because um, I have a teenage daughter, middle school son, and then late elementary daughter. And you know, talking with all the, the, the teenagers who are you know, mid, mid-teens, I'm realizing, wait a minute, these, these teenagers still have a couple school dances per year. They got prom and homecoming. And, mm. and when have they ever been taught what to do <laughs> yeah. at a dance? Had they right. different from when I was growing up. And I remember, I remember dancing with my grandma and having, you know, dances at the Casey hall and what do kids, the kids these days yeah. are not taught partner dancing, yeah. right? Or like, even how a, to interact with each other. <laughs> right. But we send, we send them to prom. Yep. We send them to the homecoming dance and we call it a dance. There's no class at school called dance. And, and so you think, what all do kids need to learn? Yeah. What does it mean? And, and ultimately a parent has to be in charge of the kid's education. Cause I mean, the, the, the schooling and curriculum, you know, that's a piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I think that's the, you know, I, I, we are diving deeper and this is cultural, culturally relevant, but I mean, I think you, what you're saying, what you said is absolutely accurate, right? That's the parents are kind of the ones influencing and, and molding us at, when we're kids. And, and that's where so much of that inequity comes in, right? Like I started on the 50 yard line, right. To, to get, you know, if I, if the aim is a touchdown, because I had parents that taught me some things and, you know, I've, I've peers and throughout my career, I've had peers. I'm like, wow, these people are brilliant, but they had to run twice as hard, twice as fast to get here compared to me. Yeah. Um, because all they had were the systems and the systems are kind of broken, uh, which is really fascinating to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and our, our culture, there so many, so many voices are de-emphasizing the importance of being a parent. Yeah. The importance of, of yeah. Having a kid and then committing. Okay. We're married. We're raising this kid. We have a responsibility mm-hmm. and no matter how hard it is, we've made a commitment. We've just, and we're sticking it out. Uh, actually, I, I will, speaking of starting on the 50 yard line, um, my parents were phenomenal. They're still together. They're in their mid mid seventies. Um, still you know, going strong. Um, but I grew up really poor, like free lunch at school, poor. Mm-hmm. I remember standing in before food stamps were a thing. I remember standing in the bread line, the, the government welfare line to get the box of powdered milk, a block of cheese, <laughs> some loaves of bread and whatever else they, they put in there. Um, and so economically, you know, you look at that situation and it's like, oh, okay. That was, that's, man, that's really rough setback. But that actually didn't matter because I had two parents who were, who had decided, wow. yeah. Hey, we're going to have three brothers. So me and my, our you know, four boys in the family. <laughs> they decided, all right, this is it. This is what we're doing. And I was rich growing up, not with money. Yep. I hear you. But with parents. Yeah. Wow. That, what a blessing. Yeah. Okay. Back to like work culture, <laughs> since that's the name of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and this always happens, I, I tell my guests before we start, I have a question I'm going to ask you right off the bat, and of course we never get to it until way later, <laughs> but the question that we ask every guest, uh, it's not off the bat, it's just a question we ask every guest, is uh, to tell me an example of a, a, a mistake that you've made in leadership that you'll just never forget what you learned. Uh, it, it, all goes, it all goes back to, to hiring and deciding what we're going to do. It, it, hiring and setting the example. Uh, I mean, every, there's so many little tactical, oh, I wish I would have done that. But, but ultimately it stems from who you choose, who I have chosen to be a part of my company. And then what I have asked them to do, what, what, what vision that I have set and what I've asked them to do and what I've asked them not to do. Hmm. Um, every, everything stems to that. And I've made, I've made some hiring mistakes, um, I think I remember back in the NBA uh, times, Jack Welch was saying that uh, um, his batting average on hiring is only 50%. And I'm like, well, shoot, if he, his is only 50%, then the rest <laughs> of us are terrible. But, but uh, just choosing wrong and, and uh, not, not really learning who that person is, um, such a risk. And because learning, learning who a person is and what, what they believe up here, um, is if you learn that after you hire, well then it's, you know, flip of a coin, whether it's yeah. going to work out or not. Yeah. It could be too late because every company is different. I mean, we're not a big company. We're, 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 you know, headquartered in Austin. Now we're, we got people spread over the country. We're, we're, we're not a big company, but, um, every company, every company has to ruthlessly, discriminate based on what they want to do. You have to say, okay, of the whole population, what tiny little sliver and on what attributes are going to make them really great at, at our company. Hmm. And then you got to figure out how to go and, and test for those traits. Sure. It, it, for you, I'm curious what that's become because I think about those traits and of course you have, there's multiple legs of the stool. You've got skills, mm -hmm. experience, uh, to a degree, hard wiring values, uh, what, which of these levers do you feel like you're trying to get the best beat on before you hire someone or is it all of them? Yeah. <laughs> or is it more that I haven't mentioned? Right. Well, we certainly have core values that we, that, that we, we talk about and we, we stress, um, you know, behaviors based on them, but in the hiring process, um, I mean, we, we eliminate probably 90% or more of the candidates even before the second interview. And, and it's not that they're, they're bad and we're eliminating them. Um, I, I, I learned this from Jack Welch and, and I agree with it wholeheartedly. Now, every single person will be a phenomenal rock star in the right environment. Sure. With so it's not getting into their strengths. Yeah. Yeah. Hard wiring. So, right. Yeah. So it's not about evaluating a person. So, Oh, you're no good. I'm eliminating you. No, no, no. They're going to be great in the right organization, mm -hmm. in the right role, you know, exercising what they're awesome at. So, this, so it's, so it's not that yeah. you're looking for it, people that you can cultivate as rock stars for you. Yeah. And, and so I think, I think the lesson, what I've learned to do is, is, is about understanding organizationally what we are good at related to people and then finding the people that, that intersect with what the organization is good at. I'll give you an example. Um, Clear measure is not good at daily supervision of people. If, 
if we if we hire somebody that, that requires daily supervision that, that yeah. requires you know the, the tasks to be lined up for the day and prioritize a certain way we're just not good at it from a management perspective yeah but we've decided that we're not going to invest any effort in getting good at that. <laughs> right. So that's a decision. So we have to hire people who can prioritize their own day. Yeah. Who can, who can, you know, see, okay, what are the things that need to happen? Let me shift this around. Let me move it. The sense of personal responsibility. Every single person now is remote as of 2019. And so nobody's actually looking, are they even working? Are they, right. I mean, who knows? <laughs> but, but we, we've, you know, we have to hire people who actually have that skill and that mindset. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to keep diving into this because this is one of, you know, the, the people listening here, hiring is one of our biggest struggles, mm -hmm. right? I'm, you know, my, my previous company, we hired so many people all the time. We had 2,500 employees by the time we sold. So it was a huge part of what we did. Yeah. Um, how do you figure that out? How do you bring someone in? You said you eliminate 90% of people. What, are the, what, what levers are you looking at and how are you filtering them out that quickly without it taking immense amount of time from your team of yeah. interviews and phone screens and all that? Yeah. Well, so we, we, we do have an in-house recruiter and, um, she, she probably, she probably eliminates, you know, over 50% of the candidates just on the minimum qualifications that we have resumes. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the programming industry is still in its infancy. The education, um, the education capabilities are still in its infancy. Um, and, and we also recognize that, that, you know, Microsoft and Google are those big, they, they, you know, they snap up a whole bunch of stuff. Sure. People, um, now we're not actively, we're not actively going after college grads. We're going after people who are in maybe their, their second programming role, sure. their third programming and, and above. Um, and also, also hiring, you know, seasoned lead architects. Um, so, uh, the first, the first is just a checklist of what have you done? Mm -hmm. Um, so if we're, you know, we have a, like a senior engineer role posted now, so it's not an entry level position. So the, okay, senior engineer will have done these things just to you know, ask him, have you done this? Have you done that? Have you, because if we're hiring somebody with needing a certain experience, well, that's pretty clear cut, you know, and, yep. and then they let us know and it's very respectful. Hey, we're looking for somebody who has done .NET, C Sharp, SQL Server, um, has uses ReSharper, has automated builds, has created automated testing suites, has, has done uh, automated deployments, not worked in a situation where there were those things happening and other people were doing it, but they have done it. They have deployed to Azure. They have, and all these mm -hmm. are buzzwords and aren't, you know, but they're clear. Have you done this? And, and it's yes or no. And we're looking for people who have. Yeah. So that, that's, that, that gets you above 50% of one, like, yeah. okay, we're clear about, we're clear about the experience points. And again, it's not a knock that they haven't. It's just, okay, we're looking not fit, for yeah. who we should interview. Mm. So that's the start. And then, um, and then we, and then we, uh, use the audition method as the next step. Um, and we don't actually sit down and talk until the third step. Okay. Um, so the first step is skills inventory and, and to make sure, Hey, are you interested in clear measure? And right. so our recruiter tells them about the company and, and whatnot to make sure that they're even interested in the company. Of you thought, you thought you might, but I want to make sure that you know what you're interviewing for and you actually do. Yeah. A lot of people are just applying to, for jobs because they need a job and they right. click, 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 click. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, 
And so the second step is our audition step. Kind of like if, if um, my, my daughter's into, into stage theater and musical theater mm-hmm. and she wants to, she wants to do some Broadway stuff and then, and then open up a local theater. So she's totally into it. But mm-hmm. if, if you're hiring, let's say you're in the sports arena and you're hiring somebody to sing the national anthem at the next sporting event. Um, and, and, and so you're going to interview people. Do you talk about singing the national anthem or do you say, Hey, let me hear you sing. Yeah. Right. Give that, me a little sample. Yeah. That's the difference between just talking about some type of work and actually witnessing that work. So mm-hmm. we do an audition step and in our field, it, it's a coding interview. It's hey, instead of talking in English about programming, let me see you do some programming. Um, so our audition step has worked out tremendously for us um, because that, you know, I would say more than half of the people who go through our, our coding interview, um, you know, are eliminated at that stage as well. And again, that's, that's not saying that, oh, they're bad. They don't know oh, how yeah. to program. Right. It's that we're looking for a certain approach to programming. Um, we're looking, we're looking for speed of thought, but we're also looking for that consultant m- mentality um, because we are a professional services uh, company. And then the third step, once we, once we know that they have the experience, we know that they have the skills that we need. Then we're looking for fit, and that's where we, we sit down and, and yeah. talk. And then we use the uh, um, we don't use it universally, but my favorite interview uh, is the top grading interview, where it's just fact. You don't ask them hypothetical questions or scenario questions. You just go back in time, and I got it from the book Top Grading. But okay. you, you go back in time and just say, "Hey, let me get to know who you are. Start start from the beginning. Let's go way back. Where'd you go to high school?" Yeah. Like literally that. And, and at that stage of your life, what was your favorite part of high school? What was your least favorite part? Oh, really? Tell me about that. Okay. What happened next? Mm-hmm. And then what was your favorite part of that stage? What was your least favorite part? Okay. What happened next? And it's literally just, it's not what would you do or it's what do you It's telling you nothing about their skills in the job. It's telling you everything about who they are and how they became who they are. Yeah. And it's not judging who they're, they're like what sequence it's, what, what we're judging for is, is how do you think about life? How do you approach decisions that yeah. you've made in the past? Because yeah. there's so many challenges that, that happen with, with our clients. We're not just doing internal software for ourselves. I mean, we have we, you know, several dozen active accounts going at any, any given time. Yeah. And it's a mix between the technical and just customer service. You said it was called top grade? Top grading, uh, top grading. Okay, I think I'm pretty pretty sure. But we like to we like to track down the books that yeah people mention and it was and a while ago. Up, so yeah, yeah. But that's the interview technique. It's not asking any question about what do you think or what would you do in this situation. It literally is just a, factually. Hey, what's what's happened? And and at each stage of what's happened in your life, what did you think about that? Yeah. What did you like? What did you not like? I love that. So that's, that's great, man. You are really like pulling some levers really early on filtering down and then and getting to the heart of who that person is and whether or not they're going to be a good fit. Uh, of course, well, I, I will highlight yeah. one thing that we're looking for. Um, there's some of the triggers in our core values. One of our core values is serving others first. That's literally what I was about to start asking yeah. you about. It's so great. Thank you for the segue. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll actually, I want to give some credit to my initial, um, uh, co-founder who, who, um, who retired, but, um, Mark Stavro, he came and he said, Hey, we need to have core values from the beginning. And he had come from organizations that had them. And I was kind of learning, um, 
how to properly set vision. And that's been a great tool for us. Yeah. But, but in the end, what we're looking for is, is setting boundaries of, of this is how we expect you to behave. And this is how we expect you to make decisions. Mm-hmm. So it was like very behavioral in nature. Yeah. Cause I, I think, I think beliefs come from behaviors. You can't, you can't control what people believe, but in a job, you, you basically set the standards for behavior. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you do these behaviors, you get a paycheck. It's kind yeah. of what a job is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the core values is, is basically, this is how I want you to behave and not behave. So anyway, one of the core values is serving others first. And it's, it's basically, uh, encouraging in every situation, don't make demands and say this other person, you need to do this for me. Instead, think about what they need and what I can do for them. Um, and one of the things in the past, it's been there for a while, but in the past five years, it's kind of blown up just in, in general society in certain pockets. And, and that is, uh, the frequency of people, people becoming offended whatever, whatever mm-hmm. situation, you know, it's like labeling something that's offensive or I'm offended or whatnot. And so, you know, we've been very clear becoming offended is a violation of our serving others first, um, core value. And, uh, that, that act of being offended is basically saying something just happened. I just had an emotional reaction. I'm feeling some, some type of emotion because I'm feeling an emotion. Now I'm going to demand that you stop something or start something or change something so that I can feel a different emotion. Um, Hmm. that's, that's just a selfish, that's a selfish way to approach it to say that somebody else needs to change because I felt something Yeah. because who knows if people feel different things. So anyway, that's a clear measure. We were very clear. Becoming offended is a violation of our serving others first because it's just a, it's just a selfish thing. It doesn't to, to me. It doesn't sound like you just said that the being offended is the offense, <laughs> but it's more how they react out of that being offended. I mean, you. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, you, you, people, we feel emotions all the time. Yeah, it's what we do with that. Right. Right. Yeah. So okay, I, I want to challenge that one a little bit. So there are things that are, you know, I I get offended and then I can deal with that myself. Right. There are some things that are egregious. And, and then now it's not about me trying to make you change, but it's about accountability. You know, if, if somebody calls somebody a horrible name or somebody, ass, you know, verbally if assaults, punches like, my 10 year old, right, right. I <laughs> would, I would take some action. Yeah. So, so I guess, you know, like, do you feel like you've, you've set that delineation of like, can people tell the difference behaviorally with that core value between being offended and holding accountable when something is like really egregious. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't think we tend to have that problem. Um, because, because what the, 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 the right way it, it clear measure what we reinforce is talk directly to that person. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. If, if my approach is I felt something, something happened and I don't like it. I felt, I felt some type of emotion. If I, if I go and demand that other person change, that's the selfish aspect. Yeah talking, talking about it. That, right. That's great. That's professional. That's, that's being an adult, mm-hmm. you know, talking through it. Hey, asking them, it's like, Hey, that kind of bugged me. You know, that's just relationship stuff. But when it comes to, when it comes to, I felt something, let me make a factual statement. You know, that is offensive as opposed to, Hey, you know, that bugged me, yeah. you know, and 
because we like each other, can you do that differently or whatnot? Yeah. That's just being in a relationship. Yeah. But it's the, it's the, it's the demand. Okay. It's the, I felt something. Now I, I label it as such and I demand that you be different. Yeah. I'm accusing you of something and you now have to change yeah. for my sake versus having a conversation right. or yeah, diving a little deeper. Okay. And one of our other kind of, we have core values training. We go through these okay. scenarios all the time. Actually, we have videos. We have, we have core values, videos training that goes through some example scenarios when, when someone joins the company and building relationships is another one of our values. And we talk about the harmfulness of gossip that at some yeah. point, you know, you, you make friends and, and then something, something is going to irk someone. And when you, when you talk to a third person about person a, and, and that right there is a violation of our building relationships, core value, because invariably the fact that you went to person C about person a, about an issue, it's going to get back to them at some point. You, you basically, you, you basically, uh, torn a relationship and person C you're, you're pitting them against person a mm -hmm. you're entering into a dysfunctional relationship with person C talking about person a, that triangle communication. I mean, gossip has been damaging for, for ages, Yeah, yeah. but, but just you know, giving a scenario so that people can see, Oh yeah, that is gossip. Instead, I, I, whatever issue it is, I need to talk with that person directly. Mm -hmm. That's actually a serving mentality. It's like, Hey, yeah. look, we work together. Whatever the issue is, let's get past it. Let's yeah. talk through it. It's interesting. Yeah, there's so many new words that have come, come to this human consciousness and, and they trend and they get really big and they're important words, but I find gossip fascinating because I mean, that's been around since I was a child, yes. right? And it's just not going away. Yeah. Uh, I actually read a stat that, so if you define gossip without a negative or positive connotation, just gossip is talking to someone about someone else. And it just, they, they said in, in negative light. Well, so, so, but they were saying, if you define gossip as just talking about someone, then gossip makes up like up to 90% of all human conversation. Oh. Uh, so, so they were kind of trying to make the point, like, what if we reframed it? Like, what if like, we just accept, we're always going to be talking about other people to our friends and everything else, but we, we have to frame it positively. Like let's speak, let's speak enrichment and life into these yeah. gossip conversations and try to yeah. you know, maybe reclaim this word. And, 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 uh, I don't know. I thought it was a fascinating study. Cause I started thinking about immediately with, you know, my friends and my girlfriend, we're just always talking about what's going on. How are other people doing, mm -hmm. you know, and we, it doesn't have to be bad. Uh, and I started thinking, well, there's gotta be a better word for that. If we're just talking about other people, that's good. I'm like, I don't, I don't actually, I don't know if I have another word. So gossip might be the word, but let's just good gossip, only yeah. good gossip, which is praise. <laughs> Yeah. Praise. Yes. Yeah, like, hey man, that person really did something great or yeah. And we always Th get the welcome. sense if, if somebody's talking crap about someone else to me, I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, okay, what are you saying about me though? To oh. other people. And if you're talking, if you're saying something amazing about someone else, I'm like, you know what? I feel good about you. You're probably, you're probably saying something good about me too. And, and so yeah. when it comes to building relationships, that core value, man. Yeah. So such I think a strong... I dove into this topic from, the top grading interview. Okay. And our, our, how we tie it back to that is we, we you know, we're asking a candidate, Hey, tell me your story. Mm -hmm. and, we're, and we're kind of following them along like, hey, just tell me your story. Right. And if their story, as they're telling us about the different people they've worked with, and of course, once they get to their you know, working life and this job and that job and programmers typically don't stay in the same job for 30 years yeah. they, you know, or actually just 
the younger generations in general, um, with, with today's workforce, uh, then there's multiple jobs and multiple bosses, multiple coworkers. And if their story is full of, I didn't like this person. Yeah. That person was a dweeb. This person's bad. And if their whole story and they just basically told me, you know, you basically, you basically bad mouthed, uh, everybody that you've worked with along your career, you're everyone, probably going to, you're probably going to bad mouth us. Yeah. Everyone who's shaped you, you know, yeah. even if they did negative things like that, you are who you are and you can choose to see that from a negative yeah. or positive light. And yeah, if you come in here, you're just going to talk about us that same right. way. I don't want that. But then on the flip side, we come through and there's someone who's giving credit to every, everybody yeah. who's given them something, which everybody in con we come in contact with, we learned something from them. Yeah. But you know, there, there's con, we, we see these big contrasts mm -hmm. and it's probably no mystery who we tend to hire of oh, yeah. the people who are qualified for the position. Yeah. Those are the people we tend to hire. I said, I, I like that style because a lot of times we just hire people we like, you know, but if you're not interviewing with the right approach, you're only really liking the people who are winsome mm -hmm. and, you know, persuasive and, and extroverted, but that's not necessarily who we're looking for all the time, especially programmers. They're not likely yeah. to be the extroverted. We're all introverts. Yeah. We're all, the only reason I'm talking to you today is because we're, we're, I mean, we're, no, we are, we are yeah. all introverts. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. But like you, but you, in this interview strategy, you like someone because of the, the energy, the values that they're showing through that interview, how they're speaking about the people in their lives, how they got to where they are, their, their path. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I love that. Cause even an introvert has just as fair a chance as being, of being likable. If that's your approach, I really like yeah. that. The, uh, the point is just keep them talking the whole time. Yeah. Words are powerful, but also out of the mouth come the secrets of the heart. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the goal of the interview process is to really get to know somebody mm -hmm. so that you can determine, okay, are they going to be awesome at this company? Because, man, when we hire poorly, uh, it's not just that we didn't get the best employee that we could have got for that particular position. We wasted somebody's time. Yeah. If, the, if they're not going to be awesome and, and have a career trajectory and, and grow in clear measure... We're wasting their time when they could be investing that same time somewhere else where they're going to get a better career trajectory. Yep. I mean, nobody stays at clear measure for 30 years and the people who leave, we celebrate them because I don't know a single person who has worked at clear measure and then left that where clear measure wasn't an inflection point. They're, yeah. they're, they're in a more senior position. Other, uh, you know, we've got, we've got multiple CIOs, chief architects, you know, from, from people who were an engineer at clear yeah. I celebrate that. I'm like, that's awesome. I love that. But if somebody's not going to be, and then they go to another position for the same position they were at clear measure, that means we wasted their time yeah. while they were here. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and not only that, the bad hire is going to cost you from the role that they're doing poorly. They're also going to cost you an overall culture. Like if they're not in, in, in power or embodying your core values, they become toxic and, and you got to get rid of them. And then it's just a whole mess. Yeah. Well, those are the extreme examples. Uh, we can talk about, Oh, toxic employees. Not well, that's because we really got it wrong in the, in the hiring process. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. And you, you, how many employees do you have? 20, 30? Uh, we, what's the actual count? Somewhere between 30 and 35. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You, you have the ability to be slower, pickier, 
and, and really find that right fit, uh, which is a, a huge benefit. That's true. I mean, I think of a, of a, you know, over West Austin, they're building elementary schools seemingly every year because of the growth East yeah. Austin too. Um, and you got to hire what just dozens and dozens of teachers kind of all in one bulk uh-huh. because we're starting a school year. I'm just, just in numbers, you know, you're going to go through that school year and the principal, <laughs> the principal is going to say, okay, we need to swap out a few teachers. It's just inevitable. You know, yeah. that's the risk when you hire big pools of employees. Yep. If Jack Welch only has a 50% batting average, you know, nobody's got a hundred. rest of us are yeah, <laughs> in a bad shape. Yeah, man. Okay. So then hiring process, you've got some great methodologies and strategies. You, you bring them on, you onboard them. You, you put you, they're part of your, you know, some people call it family. They're part of your company though, right? They're, they're part yeah. of this, this unit, uh, what do you feel, what, what's something that you're really proud of in terms of how you integrate people into your culture and your, your values? So a- after we determine we want them at the company, then, then we're kind of onto the last piece of bread and the hiring sandwich, um, which has an analogy I learned way back when. It's it, it sell by sell is the, is the bread, the bread, the meat and the bread of the sandwich. At the beginning, you're selling your company, you're enticing people to to apply. Mm -hmm. And then during the interview process, they're selling themselves. So you're the customer. And then once you decide that you want them, then you flip back and now you're selling the company again, right? You've already made the decision that you want them. (laughs) And so we're, you know, we're selling the company, making it exciting. Uh, cause a a job switch or whatnot, it can be kind of scary. So one of the, one of the first bits is, okay, how do we serve them? Well, make it exciting, make it, make it a positive thing. Does their family needs, you know, some additional help? I mean, the basic things are, you know, yeah, benefits, onboarding, make sure to get everything, um, make sure they're doing that 401k from day one so that they don't miss the matching yeah. I mean, paperwork for the short term disability, all kinds of stuff like that. But then on day one, um, and I'll, we have, we fired a number of, of, executive assistants and whatnot, but most of the time, most of our employees are engineers and mm-hmm. software architects. So let me just talk about that. Um, for, on, on day one, if you're if, a software engineer, we want them to write some code on the first day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's during the interview process, every single person who's worked in an internal IT company or even a, a consulting company, they come on board, computer's not ready for them. Yeah. Uh, they don't have access. They Maybe they can check their email and that's it. Um, just, they don't in general have what they need and for programming, uh, so many, so many software systems. Oh, h- how do I get into the code base? Oh, we need to get you access. Okay. Now you do have access. Well, you can't really develop this feature yet because you don't understand how this piece of software is put together and the software, the processes are not in place. So a new person can be integrated quickly. And, and there's stories, everybody has these stories. Oh, yeah. it took me two weeks of just figuring out where this code is so I can make a change. So we like to have our, our new engineers be able to write code on the first day. But does it always happen? Is there an opportunity to write code on the first day? Maybe not, mm-hmm. but, but we want to take all those normal barriers and have them be non-existent. So yeah, you're equipping we, them to feel like they're adding value from day one versus twiddling their thumbs right. and wondering what am I do, even doing here. Right, right. So, so, and there's so many, there's so many practices. I mean, that's that's what we do as a company is to 
help our client software teams be effective software teams. You're not effective if you hire somebody and they can't be productive for two weeks because you don't know how to get into the code or you don't even have an automated build process. So if they change something, they don't know if they accidentally broke something on their branch. Uh, and then people are scared to make a change because <laughs> you know they're, they're going to get hit over the head because they broke a change because there's no process in place for letting them know that the software was broken. That's a whole other diatribe, <laughs> but, but we want them to get productive quickly. They're, they're coming to work. They're excited about working. Yeah. Let's let them work. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, handbook and the core values training and, and making our, our recruiters really good about kind of shepherding them through the first process and, and yeah. connecting them with the right people, get it, just getting them yeah. going on their first assignment really quickly. Yeah. That's really important. I love that. Um, and in the interest of time, we'll have to kind of move into the next section, which Really, it's plugs, man. What do you want to plug? What do you want to talk about? Let our audience know about whether it's Clear Measure, what you guys do, or some side project you're working on, something you're passionate about. Oh, um, well, probably probably two things. Uh, the first one is is to just regular company executives, because I think probably the audience of this, as people who are business leaders yep. and whatnot, uh, and we're obviously we're we're a a high tech company. We do techie stuff. There's all kinds of jargon. Um, but we encounter so many probably, probably some free advice because we encounter so many executives at companies that have hired programmers and they run a software team internally and some amount of team goes, time goes by and then maybe the CFO comes in like, what are we doing spending all this money? I mean, what are we even getting? And they're way upside down on the return of investment. And and it's like a broken record over the last 20 years. You hire some outside company to build a piece of software. It doesn't do everything you wanted to. It took longer than you wanted it, than you wanted it. And you spent more on it than you wanted. And, and, and the, the software surveys out there say that overall half of the projects out there, the people people uh, who did them consider them a failure. In other words, they wish they hadn't done them. (laughs) It's like it didn't meet the return on investment that they originally expected. If you, if you do something, even if it finishes, you wished that you hadn't done it. Wow. (laughs) That's a failure. Right. Yeah. Um, And so, so, so many regular companies are hiring programmers internally and thinking, you know what? I'm not going to hire those Yahoo contractors who are failing. I'm going to do it internally. But then the same thing happens internally because you're hiring the individual practitioners, the software engineers to do it without the experience of leadership around it. And so over time, what you know, more mature companies create is realizing, you know what? Software department is just like any other department in the company. I need to have clear processes. I need to have a scorecard that go- yep. goes up to the executive level. I need to have... Um, you can call them charters. You can call them team alignment. Uh, EOS calls them the VTO, the vision yep. traction organizer. I mean, that, it's that same concept, a document of what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish and, mm-hmm. and a strategy statement of this is how we've chosen to go about doing it and some, you know, some annual goals. Um, and so my, my encouragement to these software executives is if you just do the regular business stuff wrapped around the high tech stuff, then you'll have a really good software team internally. But you have to do that work. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so that's that's what we help our customers through. We do all the you know, cool. the technical jump starts too. But just that's the message for the executives. Yeah. If you want an effective software team in house, you want it to be awesome 
in-house. That's what ClearMeasure as a software architecture company focuses on. Whereas, okay. you know, a lot of companies yeah. that want to do outsource projects, and there's a need for those and, too, but yeah. that's our focus. Okay. I love that. And, and then the second one, um, the, the second one is, uh, is learning. Um, and it, and it doesn't even have to be in the field. I, I'm, I'm on a renaissance of learning and <laughs> I'm encouraging anybody just to think about what have you put aside learning on? Um, you have these guitars on the wall, you know, spark, um, cause I, I, I've, trying to dabble in, in instruments, uh, taught myself bugle 2019, uh, piano chords. Yeah. I'm at the chord level with guitars, trying to do the individual, you know, scales and lead yeah. stuff, not there yet. Um, and, uh, and then also learning to bake bread, learning to cook, oh, wow. um, got some raised garden beds, learning how to grow, grow some stuff. Um, we've got, uh, a dozen laying hens. Uh, so, Kind of, you know, the, yeah. the tiny, the tiny minuscule ranching. <laughs> yep. And those are worth more now than ever with the oh, price of eggs. Are so expensive. That's right. <laughs> yeah. My kids are, my kids are selling our extra eggs to yeah. teachers at school. <laughs> so, but just, just think about what have you been interested in and just, just continue the learning journey. And this goes for everybody. Um, something that I, I did way back when the normal, must say the average person goes through a day and doesn't learn anything. And so wow. all we have to do is make sure that we're learning something every day, because if we have 365 days in a year where we've learned something going against the general population that we're competing against in the workforce and whatnot, then our growth, regardless of the starting point, our growth trajectory is going to be higher yeah. because we have, it's just like going to the gym. You know, if I don't, if I don't do a lick of exercise every day versus somebody who does exercise 365 days a year, what is their body going to look like? And what does mine look like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, to my monthly exercise? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Just keep learning, keep growing. If you're interested in something, just dive in, Yeah, you know, even if you're not going to be good at it, because of course you're not right up front, but I start. Of course you're not good at it. Yeah. You haven't learned yet. You haven't practiced yet. Yeah. You know, my, my, my son with trumpet, I'm no good at trumpet after what? Five minutes of trying right. to blow. Yeah. Like, of course you're not good. You haven't learned how to yeah. do it. You it's impossible practiced. for you to be good. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My son's the same way. He doesn't want to start anything that he's not good at, but, uh, he's, he's gotten out of that. He's going into high school. He, he played drums and then he went into middle school and tried out for all the, the band stuff. And killed it at percussion. And then the band director's like, what do you want to do? And he goes, euphonium. And I'm like, what the heck is a euphonium? <laughs> and his answer to me when I asked him why, he's That's like, well, hard. I already know how to play drums. Oh, there you go. okay. And now he's going into high school. And we went to the course collection and he changed his mind. Like, just 180. He's like, yeah, I decided not to do band. I'm going to do computer science, advanced track, and I'm going to do golf. Okay. So it, yeah. I love seeing the kids that have that mentality of, I'm going to just keep learning new things. And, and yeah. we forget it as adults mm -hmm. that we just kind of sometimes can coast. So great plug. Right. Thank you. Sure. Well, we got this last piece, which is just the quick fire. So this or that, right? So I'll say a couple of things and okay. you just quick fire what, what you, uh, what you think. So first one, iOS or Android? Uh, iOS is what I use. Yeah. Okay. Uh, night owl or night owl or morning person. Neither. No, you want to sleep in and go to I, bed early. <laughs> I, I fight to get to, I fight to get to, to sleep on time because I have to get up. You know. <laughs> yeah, totally get that. Uh, books or video games? Books. Okay. This is a silly one. Rock or hip hop? 
Rock. Okay. Country. 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 Okay. All country. right. Country. All right. Then, my, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. My, my wife and I, while we were at AM, we were on the university's country and western dance team. And we went all over the world performing. We, we, were, we were not even dating at the time. We just happened. That's where we met. Oh, wow. And so, um, yeah, we, we performed for you know, George and Barbara Bush at their presidential library inauguration, we, Costa Rica, Germany. So that's fun. C- country. Country. All right. All right. I'll, I'll change the question. Pretend like we asked it the right way. Uh, the last one's a little bit, either it's local for Austinites or anybody who has a Chewy's salsa or creamy jalapeno. Creamy jalapeno. Of course. That stuff's crack. <laughs> Man, I feel bad for the people yeah. who just heard that and they don't have a Chewy's near them. <laughs> Homemade. I mean, that recipe is so simple. So simple. Yep. Well, man, this has been great. Thank you. Uh, we talked about a lot of really good things around culture, especially the hiring process and looking for the right fit. Um, you have some great methodology there. Uh, that book again, top grading. Top grading. Okay. Perfect. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts? Oh man. Um, along with the, along with the learning, the learning piece, um, you mentioned creamy jalapeno. So, <laughs> a big theme that I'm going through now is taking things that I, that, that were intimidating and then just refusing to be intimidated, whether, whether it be, um, whether it be actually baking a cake from scratch instead of buying a box mix Mm -hmm. or whatever it happens to be, um, just dive in. You can figure it out. I'll look at the camera um, (laughs) right there. I can figure it out. (laughs) You can do it. I mean, literally, whatever you set your mind to, you can do it and you can figure it out. It's just about just about deciding to push through it. Thank you so much for uh, everything you added here. Um, can't wait to keep up with you and uh, later on down the road. But for now, this has been awesome. Uh, and this is Work Cultured and we are signing off. But another big thanks to Jeffrey, Jeffrey Palermo at Clear Measure. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks, Jason. Yeah.